0: Well, good morning. Would y'all like me to pray for some more rain? Holy Spirit, rain on us, not from the skies above. Well, today we have closed another book and started into uh, a new, new, new book of the Bible, Romans. Um, hopefully you're familiar with it. Uh, but let me give you a few tips. Um, one, we're not going to be able to do uh, a kind of weekend review like we've been doing on some of these other books because there's just way too much there. It, it, it's uh, written differently than all the books that we've been reading so far, it, it's not a narrative, it's basically a discussion. Uh, it's a discussion with an assumed audience. So as Paul writes, he, he's writing an argument, but he'll also put up the objective and then he'll answer why the objective is wrong and it, it was very traditional in his day in a form of um, argument uh, that was popular in the uh when when we were writing this letter. So if you were familiar with that, you could see how he was moving his letter forward. Uh so what do we do as uh, Christians and in our day and time and our place how do we go about reading Romans well first off I would make a suggestion: if you've never been a serious student of this book don't get bogged down in the details because if you try to stop and figure out everything he just said it's going to be a very frustrating book for you to read because many times he will make a statement that doesn't make a lot of sense But he'll pick it up and answer it a few verses later or maybe even a chapter or two later. And and so one thing I would recommend doing is try to figure out the flow of the argument. And what I mean by that is start in chapter 1 and go and Paul stops talking in this letter. Read it all. Read it all again. If you haven't quite got it, read it all again. Because this book flows, it has a particular pattern, it has sections, it has all this kind of stuff. And the only way to truly learn Romans is not to break down individual passages, but to learn the entire argument. And so we're going to try to look at the summations of these arguments as we go through this book together, because our format doesn't allow us to answer all those detailed questions. Now that's not a bad study, but you're going to have to go verse by verse, line by line, assuming you know the whole flow to start with. That is a long, drawn-out process. So if you want to truly understand this book and understand the details, you need to invest a serious amount of time. But if you want to understand uh, this, this book and you want to learn how to apply it to your life, you simply just need to know what's there. You need to know the argument and where he started from. And so as we look back through this, uh, this, these first few chapters, um, there's a problem with sin in the world. I don't think we've come that far since Paul's day, have we? Because this world is still full of sin. Doesn't matter what your background is, this world is still full of sin. And that's what he does. He lays out how corrupt those other people were. Those Gentiles, those Greeks, those barbarians, all the other people. Because first, he says, let's look at all the people we can judge. We're pretty good at that at Christians, right? We can look at the world and tell them all their problems and what they're doing wrong, can't we? You Nod your head. Don't act like you don't do it. But you can turn on the TV if you're conservative. You can watch Fox and agree with everything. And they say you can flip over to C- CNN and go, these people are a bunch of quacks. Now, if you're a liberal... You can watch CNN and say, man, these people know what they're talking about. You can flip over to Fox News and say, these people are a bunch of quacks. If you're like me in between, it's just fun watching the report of the same uh, event and seeing how did they both come to so different conclusions of what was just said. And so if we're trying to apply this, as Paul did, he he first looked out and he scanned his audience and he said, let's talk about all these other people, and how bad they were. Now let's talk about these Jews, these special ones, these promised ones that were given the law. And he comes to a simple conclusions. Neither one of them did it right. But he also starts noticing that some who weren't given this precious law that these Jews would stand on, lived like they had it in their heart. And, and he starts talking about this idea of circumcision of the heart. This change of a heart is what God really wants. It's not this legalistic following of the terms because those who were given the law failed by the law and they were judged by the law. Those who weren't given the law, many of them did the same thing and they did their own selfish, sinful ways. But there were some, even without the law, lived like God created them to. And he uses an exemplar right before we get to this chapter today. We'll be in 5 today. But he uses the faith of Abraham. Abraham is an interesting person to use here because Abraham is the father of this Jewish nation, the one called out to be special, to be set aside, to be given the law, and all these kind of things. Well, the law came through Moses, but you know what I mean. It started this whole patriarch trend of their ethnic Jewishness. But Abraham was called out of the many nations it refers to. Before God spoke to Abraham, he was part of the crowd. And when God spoke to Abraham, it says, In faith, Abraham did what God said and believed in what God said. And so in faith, this nation of Israel would be born. And he sees that in all these examples. And so when we talk about the sin and, and what Jesus did and, and the Spirit, we get to chapter 5. And it begins with a therefore. So that means if you just start in chapter 5 with your study, you just missed everything that came before. And what came before was important because it says therefore. In conclusion, this is what we take the response. You will find this word over and over again in the book of Romans. So let's read a little bit of it. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also attained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering... Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And so this part of the letter is written to those who have come to a faith in Jesus Christ because it is the implications of what it means to stand as a believer. Because it begins with, we are justified by faith. Justified, made right. It is our faith. That saves us, not by our works. He just went through this. He said it wasn't what the Gentiles did. It wasn't what the Jewish did. By their works, they are condemned. They failed. They could not live up. Even the group that was selected to stand apart, to be a blessing to all nations, they could not live by the law. For the law actually made it worse. Because some sin in ignorance. But these... They sin knowing what they're doing is wrong. Therefore, we've been justified by our faith. Just like Abraham was justified by his faith. The mark of circumcision wasn't given to him until after faith came along. And so as we read Romans, we see that there is an implication. Paul says you're saved by faith and faith alone. It's not by our works that we are saved. We are justified by faith, pure and simple. It doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter if you're a pretty good person and only mess up a little bit. Because if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. And you are deserving of God's wrath. We don't have those hell and brimstone sermons really anymore. But God's wrath is ever-present in this letter. And he says, every single one of you without Christ is deserving of it. It doesn't matter what pedigree you came from. It doesn't matter if you were given the right schools, the right language. It doesn't matter if you have the cultural expectations and the ethnic traditions and genealogy. We are all corrupt and we have all fallen short of what God demands. Today y'all begin a lesson in Sunday school over the Ten Commandments. Raise your hand if you are super excited to go through this and spread it out over the whole time. Hey, there's a couple hands. I think it's just because they were yawning. I'm not sure about that. But that is the basis of the law. The Ten Commandments is the juice of what God expects. Originally written kind of in Hebrew, you could write it in ten actual words because you can add junk to the beginning, junk to and get the sentences out of that. We don't really have that in our Bible. But if you think about it, there were ten commandments, ten words, ten fingers. You should be able to memorize them. And if you're trying to decide what you're going to do today, what your hands will be doing, you look down and you can say, well, is this one of the commandments? And if you break one, well... You break one. And, and you can think from a big perspective, when we boiled it down to basically ten tenets, we could live that way. But then Jesus comes along, and he, he expresses the true meaning of the commandments in the Sermon of the Mount. You might could have got those ten by simply as a do and don't. But when you can look at the heart, and he starts looking into your heart, and he says, you may not have murdered your brother, But if you're angry with them, it's the same. Because if you have hatred towards another, you might as well have killed them. It's true. If we hate somebody, we can justify our actions because they are another. And most of the time you see in hatred that we first dehumanize them. Just watch the news. People will do that. They dehumanize people. If you can make them this kind of villain, this evil entity... You can do things to an evil entity because they are an evil entity. Because people will be happy when you do things to this thing that you hate. But if you start looking at everybody, including those that we would call enemies, as God's creature, loved by God, it starts to change how you relate. If you don't like our president or don't like the president before... If you see him as God's appointed leader, you have a different respect for the office. If we dehumanize things, we can treat them different. But for those who have found Jesus Christ, we realize that it didn't matter how good a person we are. We are utterly guilty and deserve God's wrath. And it is only the fact that we have been justified by our faith that we now have peace. We now have peace with God. And that wrath will not come to us, even though we are deserving. But it goes on, and you remember verse 2, it says, Through through him we have also attained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice. So Paul now is saying, those who have have found faith in Jesus Christ... Everything is good. You have this insurance all of the days of your life that you are one of God's children. You are part of a family now, and it doesn't matter what you do in a family that you're going to be welcomed in. It is the hope that we stand. And because of that hope, because we know that in our life we will not receive wrath, we will not receive the punishment in which we deserve, we have found a hope. Of the glory of God. But it says not only that. He continues. But we rejoice in our suffering. Rejoice in suffering. Doesn't sound like fun. But it's because we have a new perspective. We have an eternal perspective. We have one in which that we can look into eternity. In a time where we can look for the ever and ever and ever amen. We will spend it with God in glory. And it's because of that fact we can live our lives differently today. When somebody strikes us on the cheek, we can turn the other one. We don't have to seek vengeance and justice for our account because God is going to do that. I mean, really, what can we do to somebody else that God's wrath won't do five times or more worse? Because we may take somebody else's life, but he owns their soul's. And guess what? If you have faith, he owns your soul. So it doesn't matter what those can do for, to us. The suffering we may experience in this life. It doesn't matter, does it? Because they can't ever take the soul away from us. God has it. We've given it to him. And that's how we can come and truly worship him and rejoice, even when the times are suffering. Every time I read these words about uh, suffering, which leads to endurance, which leads to character, which leads to hope, I always think about people who exercise a lot. We've got a few groups that join us, you know, at at church, and they always ask me, and I have carried my cup of coffee, well, I got my coffee, I'll spill it if I do that. That's why I always get coffee before I go see them. But those who care about their physical bodies those who will go through the exercise program, those who will do, they will know that there's suffering involved with it, isn't it? If you're doing it right. Because if you go to an exercise class and you don't break a sweat, you don't elevate your heart rate, guess what? You're not going to show any results. You may have a good time talking to your friends, but your health won't be improved for it. But those who make a diligent effort who get up and make that 5 o'clock class. A.M., not P.M., you know. They get up early when it's still dark out here. And they go, and they, they are disciplined about it, and they endure the suffering that exercise can bring. It increases their endurance. And the more and more that they do it, the easier and easier things get. It's fun watching those shows like The Biggest Loser and stuff like that because there's other people who are doing crazy stuff. And it's because they're isolated and away from their own environment, they're able to focus purely on themselves and their, their health. And at the beginning of those shows, some of these people can't walk two or three minutes on a treadmill without nearly collapsing. By the end of this time, under the care of a per perfithifer, per- 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 personal trainer there we go they've increased their endurance but from a human perspective what happens because they were only concerned about this finite duration of time this time that they were on their show they will fall away or many will because that endurance never led to character It never changed who they truly were. If you're going to follow an exercise program, and you can endure for a little while, that's great. But if you fall away before that becomes who you are, the character of your very being, you won't find success. And for those who do it for the money or for the show and for uh, the wrong reasons, you won't succeed. Because motivation does play a lot of how we live as humans. If we want it enough, and we can justify our changes in our lifestyle, then we will succeed. But the problem is, most of the time, and this is why New Year's resolutions fall all the time, while we can't finish them, is that we do it with improper motivation. If you just want to lose 10 pounds, that's great. A lot of people want to lose 10 pounds. But so what motivates you to? If the doctor just told you, if you don't cut, cut sodium out of your diet, your hearts are going to explode. Or this diabetes, if you don't tend to it, your feet are going to be cut off. They may change your motivation. But sometimes just scaring people is not enough. Look at the world around us. There's a lot of fear, and fear can rule. That is why those, those fire and brimstone sermons really got people coming down front because they were fearful of the consequences. But fear only lasts for so long if fear is not reinforced. And if you only come down because you were scared, because you needed a little bit of an insurance card from those fiery uh, destinations, you know, you may not have had an authentic relationship you are no different than those who pick up those Ten Commandments and say, if I do everything that's subscribed here for my life, I will be God's perfect child, and He will, he will welcome me in. And that's why they failed, because human motivation, it can only get us so far. Some people, human motivation will change their character, and their character will, will go to some kind of false sense of hope. Because guess what? If you're a health person, sorry I'm picking on you. But if you live to be 110 and you still can do 20 burpees, that would be an awesome thing to watch, wouldn't it? But guess what? Your days are very numbered at that point, and you haven't extended much past. You may have outlived all of your friends, but you know what that means? You went to a lot of your friends' funerals. You said goodbye to them. Because we still have a finite amount of time, no matter what our bodies will tell us. We may have uh, healthier days, and we may have more energy and more vibrancy and these kind of things, so I'm not saying any of that is wrong. But we are limited with the days that we have. And that doesn't take into consideration tornadoes, car wrecks, any other kind of natural disaster you can throw at it. Because when a building falls down on you, it doesn't matter if you are healthy or out of shape. Your days are done. And so Paul began to see all this, and he began to see it with a different perspective. He looked back over the Scriptures, because Paul was a Pharisee. He was one who lived by the letter of the law. And those extra laws that you had, you know, I had a question. It was about 613 extra laws that were added to the Ten Commandments, so that they would not stray into even getting close to breaking one of those. But Paul, he lived a life by every one of them. And he was disciplined. And he considered himself perfect by the law. But he knew that there was a time or two where he didn't quite feel like it that day. It may have slipped. But overall, he was there. He was even zealous for God. Seeking at those who would follow the way. He had the endurance that the law could do. He had suffered by living that way. All this kind of stuff. But there was still something missing. And even as he pursued with all of his energy, he wasn't going where God would have him go. And when he had that experience on the road to Damascus, everything changed. And he reread the scriptures, the one that he had studied all of his life, because he now had a new perspective. And he didn't see in the Old Testament only the law written by Moses, but he went back and he saw Abraham there father their patriarch the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob you know the one who started that list when we see it over and over again and he saw that Abraham wasn't justified because he left he was justified because what he heard from God he took in faith and that faith gave him the hope for the future and so now when he looks and he has suffered for the gospel He sees that suffering now from a new perspective. Because he knows that his life now is just momentary. And eternity is forever. And he can see that even in suffering he gets stronger. For as he suffers he learns to endure. And as he endures it develops his character in a way that living by the law never did. But it also produces a hope. A hope that he's not going to be put to shame by. Because there's something different. God's love has been poured into his heart. And God's Holy Spirit dwells with him. But it goes on and it expresses it even further. In verse 6 it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good, good person one would dare to die. But God... But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, that's that word again, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. To start this section, Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he says we have been reconciled through him by faith. Similar but different. We have peace because God has paid it all with His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why we are reconciled. For if somebody wrongs you in this life, and the justice of the peace, the law officer intervenes, if you're arguing, if you're fighting over something, if somebody has wronged you, somebody has stolen your car or barred your car and wrecked it, and it does all this argument. And the, somebody interviews and says, I'm going to separate you two. Now there's peace. You're no more fighting. Is that really peace? Just because you're no longer fighting? No. Because if the person who has done the wrong, if they don't make it right and reconcile the differences, there only can be the absence of war. And that's how we stood before God. The sins in our life deserving God's wrath. There is nothing we could have done to make that right before God. Because we had already offended Him. We were already deserving His wrath. But through the blood of Jesus Christ we are reconciled. Jesus Christ Himself paid the penalty we could not. And we have received this reconciliation. That's why we can have the peace that Paul talks about. But it is in living a life in the orientation toward God that in this present world, in this world full of suffering and pain, we can live it different. We can now see that the suffering that we are experiencing will grow us, will produce endurance in us, will build character in us. Because the longer I live, the more I can look back on the things I've gone through in my life. When I can see God's hand, even in those unpleasant days, even in the times where I wish I could have avoided, I can see how those days were growing me into the person I am today. Sometimes we can suffer suffering and get lost in it. When we lose someone very dear to us, it is hard to lift our heads back up. When we go through tragedy, job losses, all these kind of things that affect all humans the same. We don't have to deal with the persecution that many in Paul's days were. But many times we live our lives differently than our family. We are looked at as the stranger, as the kook, as the spiritual one. But when we experience those things and we stay steadfast, we will grow. And we will persevere. And maybe one day we'll get to the point of those who would see us in a shameful way will be convicted of their own sins. And they will turn and follow Jesus Christ with us. But if we're always reacting and trying to make things fair for us... We are not following the pattern that God set out. Because when he sent his son to this world, he sent him in the form of a servant. He lived the normal life of a carpenter who grew in his faith. And when the time was right, he entered into his ministry. For three years, and three years alone, did he minister to the people, healing their sick, Casting out demons, raising the dead. All this he did in their presence. And for it, they killed him. For it, he suffered. He suffered the shame at their hands. I mean, the crucifixion was one of the most indignant ways that the Romans could execute a prisoner. Not only that, but he was beaten, he was stripped. All in public view. And he did that. For us. And what they saw as a shameful act. As his shame. Deserving the punishment he got. God didn't. Because he redeemed him. As Jesus went into the grave. He brought him up to a new life. Resurrected. And in that resurrection, he offers us life, as Paul says. If, we, if he died for us as we were enemies, and we believe and now are reconciled, how much more will our life have value because he lives? He lives. He lives. He lives in us. We are God's witness to the world. So please join with me in prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have given us this opportunity to come into your house. Lord, these are challenging words. These are hard for us to understand. But the simple truth that you loved us when we were your enemies That you gave your son so that we may live. That we are chosen by you so that we may show the world difference. That because we live as your children in this life, we may find suffering. Lord, we pray for the strength so that we may endure because our eternal hope is in you. And as we continue in life, Lord, give us the strength so that we may gain more endurance. That that endurance may grow a character in us. And that we may display a hope to the world that leaves them asking question. How can this person be this way with what just happened? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now as we enter our time of invitation, if you've decided to follow Jesus and you want to let the world know about it, if you want to let all your brothers and sisters here today know what exciting thing has gone on in your life, if you want to surrender your life to Christ and His ministry, please come forward. Maybe you're simply in need of prayer. Come forward at this time. Pratt, would you close our service with the word?